supposed to be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Simon Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hey, guys. And freelance writer and critic Varat Nehru. Hello, hello. Now, we are into our second week of Radiothon. We are asking our subscribers to support 2SCR and support the amazing work that is being done on the station. We will also be talking about in this episode and over into the podcast a bit about what is happening about town we caught the 4k restoration of akira on the weekend borat's subsequent movie film is out on amazon and also the woman who ran which we'll be discussing on the podcast the new hung sang su film so yeah um and it is the second week of the supporter drive and it's 2SER. they do amazing work there's a lot of people waiting to take your phone call and it's all about the different shows on the station it is about um, ensuring that diversity of programming can go ahead. And like we talked about last week, it's pretty great that 2SCR allows us to do a show like this that can facilitate programs like this, not just in the art space, but sports and news and else. And yeah, it's also just, I've made this analogy before, but it's the boat that rocked. It's a fun group of people who wouldn't otherwise be together doing really cool things. And we're, and it's nice that it can be so community orientated and ingrained. So yeah, good on you 2SCR and, um, Please do go um, string. We'll go through in a moment all the prizes. But yeah, 2SCR, they do some good stuff. I mean, without them, we wouldn't be here sitting uh, and having this show. So, And just having independent film criticism, I think, is very important, given the fact that we can really bring in different voices. We can really uh, beef up the community, the Sydney community, in terms of movies. If you want unafraid film criticism, this is the place to be. I'm not sure that we're the most fearless film critics as opposed to um, the ones who maybe care the least about consequences. <laughs> like, I think it is an apt distinction. Yeah. USCR <laughs> <laughs> is... USCR.com, uh, by the way, and 95149500 to dial in or um, subscribe. It's 95149500 and 2SCR.com. Slash Radiothon 2020 as well. But if you go to USCR.com, it's just as good. The Radiothon 2020 is right there in your face, so you know where to go. Please give us money so that the show will be given a, a positive uh, rep by the station. And so I mean, we can keep going. To be fair, we care the least about what studios think of us, but we do care a lot about your opinions and your feedback and your engagement with the station. We do, actually. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, because I, I think one of the most fun we've had throughout this entire Ever since we went uh, virtual, we are still having our virtual meetup now while we're doing this. Yeah, I do miss this been, to you guys in person, but yes, we are virtual. Yes. One of the my favorite things has been the feedback that you guys have given us and the movies you've told us to fight about. And through that retrospective, Billy Wilder retrospective was one of our listeners suggested to us. And that was one of the most fun episodes. Declan Green. Thank you, Declan. So thank you to our listeners who listen in, tune in and tell us where we can fight about new directors or old or, you know, directors of your and young and old and whatever. So it is because of your engagement that we try to change things in our format as well and basically have fun with it. Yeah. Um, it, it, I would not be exaggerating when I say that we care more about you than the CEOs of Disney and all the other major film studios by which are just being Disney. And everything is about <laughs> um, Disney these days. You know, we just cannot avoid talking about Disney. Um, give money to 2SER because yeah, they need it more than Disney. 
9500. 9514-9500. Funny fun fact, I mean, going back and watching old Simpsons episodes, there's, there's the one where they go to the Civil War Recreation Fort, and this is like from the fifth season, and the sign in it was, um, it's been taken over, and now it's, it's not no longer a free service, and it's Disney, spelled D-I-Z-N-E-E, quote, this profit's been had. <laughs> That's one of the great early Simpsons jokes that uh, proved, uh, well, more forthright and... Uh, ahead of the time than most. So, yep, that and we do we don't do Simpsons commentary. If we want us to review the Simpsons movie, uh, God help us, but we will. That number is nine five one four nine five zero zero and two dot com. And yeah, there's different subscriber levels. Either there's forty dollars for students, and there's eighty for a regular subscriber, and there's other there's a lifetime subscription. And if you call up and give and subscribe, and you can tell us what you want us to fight about. We'll cover basically whatever you, you want. Um, you can troll the hell out of us with some, uh, by making us rewatch, like, I don't know, the MCU, but we'll do it. And look, because this is, you know, a film show, one of the prizes we have up for grabs is if you do donate, is a double pass to see Rams, which is coming out uh, as of this Thursday in cinemas. We haven't seen it, so you might be probably getting to see this movie before us and then tell us your critical opinions about how amazing this movie is and we missed out on the critical release of the year, which could be Rams. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Sam Neill, Michael Caden, you know, you love them. We do too. They're great. Particularly yeah. Sam Neill. And Sam Neill great in Jurassic Park and that uh, red meat ad as well. And the dish. And the dish. Remember the dish. Um, he was great in the commuter. He's great in everything he does. Even if it's like a tiny, stupid role. He would have been a great James Bond. With the song we discussed the show, we did a James Bond special earlier this year. God, we'll have to wait some more time for our No Time to Die coverage, unless Netflix, I don't think anyone's get it. I don't think they get a self 600 million, but that is the other thing in the news of the week. They, they were offered 500 million, if I'm not mistaken. It's not going to happen. Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson are never going to sell that movie to a streaming service. It's always going to be cinematic. It's James Bond, and they don't need the money. They don't care, and they want it to be an event that it's always been. The question is if the theaters run out of money at a certain point and this becomes something that they have to do. If there's no way that Bond can have that theater experience on a wide scale by the time that COVID settles down in the US or is under control, then I mean, what else can they do? Tenant, Tenant was a road test and it clearly didn't work. indicated that you know people aren't that keen to still go out in cinemas, at and, least in the US market. And the Mulan tests showed that at least for that film, not enough people are willing to pay like 20, 30 US dollars for a movie, which is the price we need to justify something like No Time to Die. Yeah, so, I, I will pay $42 for No Time to Die, but most people will not. That's true. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think a lot more would pay for that than for Mulan. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Much more of a, yeah. What, look, so this is the sort of commentary we do. We love it. Number <laughs> is 9514-9500 and 2SCR.com. There's cool prizes. Um, there's great people looking, waiting to take your call. And just before we continue um, on all things Radiothon, we just want to talk quickly about the news of the week and what is happening around Sydney and also online. The Polish Film Festival Sydney is, has just started and is screening at Norton Street until the 8th of November. The Indian Film Festival in Melbourne is streaming online until the 30th of November. Um, Move in Car is happening, as is the Karingai Sunset Drive-In Cinema. 
um, the Geelong Pride Film Festival screening online until November 3rd. Sydney Open Air Cinemas is happening in the open air until November 16th. The Illawarra Film Festival is happening on October 29th. The Environmental Film Festival Australia is streaming online from Thursday. Um, Monster Fest is kicking off in Sydney from Friday night through to November 1st. Time for Halloween. There's a couple of world premieres, so local premieres there, including Operation Rainfall. The Korean Film Festival is also streaming online for the first time from Friday until November 5th. Static Vision are having a weekend of horror-themed movies. And Cinema Reborn is continuing their retrospective come this Sunday. Also, starting on Sunday, the Human Rights Arts and Film Festival is streaming online. And yeah, that's all for the moment. There's a lot that's streaming online and more that happening in person, especially as Victoria... Um, as of yesterday, we're recording this on Tuesday night, have announced that some restrictions will ease. Obviously, um, there's been some, there's a piece in The Age today, I yesterday, um, where um, the Sierra Pal Cinemas, among others, were talking about how cinemas are yet to reopen on the roadmap, while other institutions are. This is obviously a point of major concern for distributors, cinema fans, and cinemas themselves. So we'll be bringing more coverage of that um, in the coming weeks as things develop. We're not sure just how quickly things in that respect might return to normal in Victoria. Certainly, social distancing at cinemas in New South Wales uh, is very strictly enforced. I spent the day at the Chevelle on Sunday, and yeah, they are strictly, strictly enforcing um, social distancing. So if, so if you're looking out, if you are concerned, looking to go to a cinema, that is something we can tell you that, yeah, they are, they are take, doing going the whole nine yards. And look, if you are going to be going out to one of these options, which are plenty in New South Wales, especially, you might be tired and might be looking for some drinks afterwards. Congratulations. That's why you should donate it to SER because we are giving away a $150 voucher for drinks, which is an evolving collection of sustainable, organic, and biodynamic wine put together by a small team and Australian as well. $150 of drinks vouchers called drinks. How long do you think it'd take us to go through $150 worth of wine? Um, I think we could do that in a day if we're willing to sacrifice the following day i mean yeah. if we're watching something by terence malik or david lynch it's basically one sitting essentially if, if you're watching both of those i will if you're gonna die of alcohol bottles of wine for, for, for glenn you guys can get your own because i will need it there's some good yeah there's some good prizes i like it film themed film like, museums wine music themes music themes as well which is fantastic the um some of these you'll get the best value out of when quarantine dies uh you know when we don't need to take any anti-pandemic measures or the those that we have to take are dramatically reduced um but that's good this could be an early in the century <laughs> if, you, if you have somebody in mind somebody special who you want to do your christmas shopping this is actually a great way you know be in the running for some prices you might win some and then that's your Christmas shopping done, basically. And if you don't have a special someone, we'll be that special someone and we'll come with you on your movie date and drink your wine and listen to your music because that's the sort of people we are. We're that caring. And no, but we, 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 said, we, we committed last week that if you do a lifetime subscriber pack, that will, if you, if you invite us, come to your house, chat about whatever you want and record an episode in your house, it will totally do that. <laughs> I would do that. I mean, uh, it, it is a lifetime subscriber pack. So you basically, we're tied to you for life. So, I mean, this is the least we can do. That's what it means, right? A lifetime subscriber pack. 
It's basically we're your slaves for the eternity of our lives. By the way, $200. Yeah, we've got new edition prizes coming in from Hoyt's, by the way, from for Hoyt's Broadway and Hoyt's Entertainment Quarter. What they are haven't been announced yet. Um, but yeah, it's right. It'll be something movie related, I'm guessing. And it'll be full of entertainment and quarters and Broadways. Things that you can see that may have been discussed on this very show. Ooh, yeah. Thing, things that are fun, things that we miss and things that we're looking forward to. Also, every subscriber, and that is the number is 9514 Get there, get a subscriber card, listening post, magazine, bumper stickers. Cool. Um, what was the film we watched recently where they had where bumper stickers was a big thing? Um, I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, so that's actually a, that's a, sorry. That's a script I read that's still in production. Forget I said that. Um, <laughs> eligibility for on-air prizes throughout the year. Passionate lifetime subscribers. Uh, T-shirts. Yeah, there's, there's, there's some cool stuff. Um, and yeah, different levels. Like Hoyt's prizes. Uh, I wonder what Borat 2 would be like if you're watching it in extreme screen and like in, um, in one of those couchy situations, like a gold-class version of Hoyt's. I did that. I snuck out of school to watch the first Borat and it was a whole, all, about, all these high schoolers, it was an entire cinema, it was the biggest cinema at Chatswood and it was packed full of fans. Glenn um, shocked us all by having never seen Akira before, but seeing this is probably the best way to see it. It looks really good. Actually, what would be amazing is what they're doing in Melbourne when um, the COVID restrictions are lowered, which is the IMAX release of this new restoration. I think, yeah, that would be uniquely awesome. The animation in this film is so goddamn detailed. It's beautiful. And I, I love watching... Uh, is, so sometimes restorations can really mess up the original aspect ratio and... No, no, it's all, it's, it's done very well. I, I loved watching this and seeing, oh, so this is where The Matrix got all that stuff from. This is where Minority Report got all this stuff from. I know they're very distinct and different, but to see the cultural influence on this film, it's just remarkable that... Um, Michael. Chronicle, oh god, yes. Also, the particular Rick and Morty, it's also notable the particular setting that it takes place about now in Japan, uh, regarding the, yeah, the uh, tangentially Olympics. I know it's, I was Chris involved me, the graphic novel goes into more detail, apparently. Although, I, I think some of that's been I looking into it more, people some of that's being misreported, I think, sensationalized into a better story. Um, looking into that afterwards. But I'd be keen to read the graphic novel and see the detail it goes into because the big problem with me with the film Akira um, is that everything is intriguing and underdeveloped. Um, I like the the real main character of the movie is the plot because it's this constant progression of incidents and cool concepts, which are enough that it's always entertaining, especially because the whole thing's such a spectacle. But I wished when it showed me subplots about political corruption, that there was more time to actually delve into that and so I could make some sense of it. Um, I wanted to get to know a bunch of the characters more because they're, they're interesting in how complicated they are a lot of the time, but we only get to see some of these people for one or two scenes and there's just so much stuff going on and so many crazy concepts in this movie. But like I said, it's always entertaining because it's really fast paced and full of cool concepts and just so, so incredible as a spectacle with it, such detailed animation. Um, I would extend that to the main figure in a film where we spend so much time with them. They are a function of the plot. I understand that they're the audience identification figure, 
but mm. we don't actually learn that much about the personality. Like so many figures in this, they're yeah. quite an empty vessel. It's very thin so that it can just keep pushing along from event to event to event. Um, but yeah, as I understand it, the graphic novel this is adapted from, it's adapted by um, a, the author who directed the film. But, um, and he, sh being somebody who comes from a comics background, he shows an incredible understanding and vision of, for how film should work. Like the, the directorial vision of this is just so stunning. But he's condensed a much longer work. And he is, as I understand it, this cuts off at about the second volume of six books and then has a new ending grafted onto it. And you can kind of tell where it stops adapting the book because it goes from all these things are going on, all these different subplots and characters um, building a portrait of this society where conspiracies are going on. Um, and then suddenly it becomes like, oh, this guy's really bad. We have to kill him now. Like the plot just becomes way more straightforward and dumber as we reach the conclusion. Still awesome because the spectacle of it is, is um, on par with the rest of the film and gorgeously animated. The whole movie actually I view as a demonstration for all the ways that you can animate things being destroyed. It's, build, it's like Roland Emmerich scale destruction. Buildings are breaking... Um, but even just in small scenes that, you know, it's like glass falls off a table and breaks, people step on it on the glass, um, horrific injuries, the way that they draw blood in this movie is so evocative. Um, yeah, the whole thing's really grotesque, but so intense and with a really propulsive, dark soundtrack, it, it, ha it leaves a heavy impression. It does. There's a novelty to much of the story. The one thing that really gets me is the pacing of this film in that it's a four act structure where there are two third acts. The third, what is effectively the third act of this movie operates like it, the fourth act could have, you could have, I don't, I don't think the film, I think the film would be less if you'd cut one, one of those, mm -hmm. but from a dramatic perspective where the arc is realized at a certain point at what turns out to be the end of the third act, film just continues and continues. Um, I made a similar point last year when we watched Parasite. However, the fourth act of Parasite developed in the story, took it to new places and gave us some genuine shocks. Well, there is a great reveal at the end of the fourth act as regards the title role. We don't really learn the character arcs and much of the action had either had really played out into the third act. So while it's still engaging with a visual perspective, dramatically the four, last fourth act, the fourth act is never on the level of the preceding three acts. So we're really getting interested in getting to know these characters where conversely the government authority figures are actually really fleshed out and very empathetic. And I can see why they, they would take this different approach where the goons that are the government who in any a number of 80s films can just be destroyed. Even the small ones who are fleeting have characterizations. You care about them. There's yeah. an impact, while there are quote unquote bad people in this, there aren't, there aren't any characters who don't have some moral perspective who I didn't care about in some respect. And I loved that about this movie. Yeah, I agree that the people who... Uh, you know, would in another film be portrayed as just unambiguously good, are shown to be perhaps being involved in corruption, or people who are part of who are aiding our heroes, um, are shown to be in other ways strongly immoral. Um, people who are doing things that the that, as Glenn says, you know, would place them as bad people, 
have redeeming morality and are understandable as individuals with their own motivations. Um, so in a way, the characterization is great in that it draws out this from very little screen time. I just always felt like there needed to be more. And Glenn, I think you're right to make that dis- that distinction between the government figures and the um, the main characters because they they basically never rise beyond like he's a teen punk, he's a rebel, like Canada, the main character. That what do we really know about him? He likes flirting with girls and he likes his motorcycle. It's like the uh, it, it reminded me visually. This is obviously much more creative. It reminded me visually of some of the scenes in. Batman and Robin, where they were running around this dystopic city on these motorcycles, and some of those characters had about the same level of character development. But um, I enjoyed this a lot more. I noted, I have a friend who was next to me noted that the bike from Ready Player One was used. Oh, it's this, it's no, no, yeah. Like, again, like it just showed how that movie did not get any of the depth of so much of its source material and throwing off the Ready Player One. Um, Probably a true of Akira as well, though. <laughs> Uh, I I'll reserve judgment until I read the graphic novel I intend to, but um, yeah. all I heard that is yeah, that is very fair. Yeah, it's great. You should take the opportunity to go see it. Yeah, see it on the big screen. Like I say, it's an incredible spectacle. It's one of the biggest achievements in the history of animation, I think. Because Please some don't make a live action version. We don't need one. We don't. The animation is so evocative and vivid. Firstly, it, it's incredibly detailed in terms of background animation and these these large scale cityscapes. Secondly, it's very, very fluid when it needs to be in terms of um, some of the action sequences and the depiction of destruction. Um, And again, just the directorial vision with these images. Yeah, very, very powerful. That is Akira 4K. It is in cinemas now. And yet we are continuing talking about uh, 2SDR, the Radiothon is on now. Please do subscribe. The number is 9514 9500. And uh, we have gone through, there are some great prizes up for grabs. Rams, tickets are up for, up, up for grabs. This opens this week. I've always liked Samuel films. The guy's great. Um, he's one of the earliest actors I really remember. And he's had an insane career. Like he's had a brilliant career, Dead Blacks of Dead Calm, moving into these Jurassic Park, um, Dish Territory. And now he's just doing films he loves and adores. He's playing well into his old age at the moment, I think. You know, he, he's, yeah. he's super likable. He's always been likable, but he's super, he, he radiates a friendliness that he maybe didn't when he really just started off the scene now, like he's grown into his stature. But he maintains his edginess even in his comedic roles. Like yeah. Not just the darkness, but like Hunt for the World of People worked because he was funny in all these sequences. But you knew that a moment that if this guy said, I'm going off grid and I'll see you in six months, he could do it. Yeah. yeah. Have any of you guys seen the original Rams? I think it was an Icelandic film. Oh. Yeah, with the two brothers. You saw it? Wait, what segments what I haven't saying? seen? It's an adaptation of that film. It is, yeah. Apparently, the, oh, yeah. I, I can't say I've seen the whole Icelandic film, but apparently, it's very, very good. Yeah, I didn't it's see it. Played at Melbourne, right? The Melbourne Film Festival. Yeah, and it got a release out, um, in Palace Cinemas yeah. as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I heard it was great. This is meant to be a fairly loose adaptation. Yeah, because that film was very sort of dry, funny. It wasn't. It's not Australian humor at all. Yeah, this looks quite different. Um, just judging them both by the trailers, but we tell you, yeah. we tell you the truth that the trailers obscure, which yeah. is why. So, 
film fight club into a cr sometimes you have to go via trailers like i went through yeah. um, the irish film festival lineup they just announced they're going online at the end of the month they're just the ones yeah, the ones i want to watch i watch every year and um i only can watch so many and i think it's like yeah i'm one of the trailers but at the same time it's okay to go deeper that's where you listen to film fight club which you couldn't do if not for two scr who are awesome and that number is nine five one four nine five zero zero and two acr.com there are different subscriber packs available that is true and if you were to subscribe to our lifetime subscriber pack as we have promised before this is not a joke very serious we will come to your house and we will record a show uh and you if will... you invite us yeah no, we're, we're, we're not as evil like of course they'll invite us we they'll just rock up, but the <laughs> others won't no wonder nobody's gonna spend six hundred dollars if they don't like us that much the thing is, look, if you if you do donate, like any amount, and there, we would be glad to follow up whatever fight, yeah. c- cinema fight, whatever you want us to cover. Yeah. But if you do, like, do a lifetime, like, the donation, like, on that level, then even if, if not coming to your house, like, give us something ridiculous to do or just obscure and, yeah. We'll, we'll, but we'll, even we'll if, if you're a student or whatever and, and you can't afford that much, you, you can still donate. It's 40 bucks. So it doesn't matter uh, as to what level of donation is what what is more important that is that you donate i think that's the more important thing it doesn't matter how much it what matters is that you do support independent radio and people like us talking on the radio so that we can give you insightful commentary on movies we're trying to make it insightful the number again is nine five one four nine five zero zero just to recap on subscriber levels it's eighty dollars for a standard forty dollars for a concession 160 for passionate and 600 for lifetime Mm. you could be a passionate person and i love passionate people 160 is passionate enough yeah we'll, like, we'll that's like we're passionate about film that's that's passionate we will do i try, I try to think we've, we've had some great suggestions to cover hitchcock yes. to cover bond to cover uh well, actually tom cruise is our suggestion but i still think it's a good one that was one of the fun episodes the cage match was great like well done to i can't remember who suggested that but Sean? Was it, Sean? it might have been sean coates from melbourne yeah. who uh yep and who will be one of the many Melbourne cinephiles will be very happy to get out and about a little bit more, see each other. If you're listening from Melbourne, um, yeah, well done on getting through what is, um, by all accounts, been a very difficult few months, understandably. And we look forward to seeing everyone from Melbourne very, very soon. Though it's impressive all the Melbourne festival festivals that have gone online and are still reaching people and still delivering to their fan bases. Good on you. Uh, we ran through, I mean, I actually have enjoyed it. We always run through like what's kind of happening around town at the beginning of the episode, but just through the past few months, we've had the opportunity to talk more about what's happening around the country because so many festivals have gone online. And it's important to get a snapshot of not just seeing what's happening in Sydney, but what is happening elsewhere. It's amazing. And um, to his yard, uh, there are a lot of radio stations that would give like nerds like us the capacity to talk about things like that. We have, yeah, we have freedom to pick what we want. We wouldn't get this deal anywhere else. Yeah, like... Yeah, good on like, yeah, good on him. Staying true to that theme, before we leave the radio, I will tell you my Sam Neill story. So All right. Let's this, hear it. this is a, this is the most embarrassing moment of my life because well, that's who I am in real life as well. Uh, so I I thought I saw Sam Neill at the Sydney Symphony Orchestra at the op- at the opera house. You do see him pretty often around the opera house. Yeah, yeah. It was me. I I don't look that old, Vera. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen him at the upper house. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought yeah. so. He looked like someone I like do, Sam Neill 
or whatever. And and he looked like Sam Neill, and he's got a very distinctive face. And I and that's how I can recognize Sam. Very good looking. So, oh, yeah. like he's aged well. No, but like he also had that sort of rugged. I just woke up from bed kind of look going, and you know he turned up and rocked up at the opera house. So I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take my chance. I'm just going to go up and say, hey, Sam Neill, good to see you. You know, what up? You know, I thought, you know, that would be a nice way to introduce yourself. And so I thought I walked up to him, basically like tapped him on the shoulder. He like, hey, Sam, long time no see. And he just gave me the most nonplussed expression as if like he did not expect anyone to talk to him like that, which is probably fair. I mean, you know, nobody should. Uh, but for a second, I just thought I'd walked up with the wrong person because he was so confused. That made me confused that I just thought I was speaking to the wrong person. And then we just stood there for five minutes without speaking to each other because we didn't, I didn't know what to say after that. And he didn't know what to say in response to well, my... He did, I think he did realize someone who didn't know me just walked up and said, long time no see. <laughs> I'm not sure how I'm supposed to respond. You know to what? This. I'm gonna. This guy owned it. I'm just gonna let him run with it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just standing there with like my fake plastered smile. He was looking at me and just looking at me with this nonplussed expression of <laughs> WTF? What just happened? Yeah. And then I just walked away because I was like, I don't know what to do now. And I didn't have a script after this, so this was it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I give some credit, to Sam Neill. Sam Neill's a very big actor, and there's not a lot of big actors who are not only very active on social media, but really active with their fan base and stuff. And I know he uh, retweets and engages a lot of folks and good on for that. The reason we're talking about Samuel, just to remind everyone, is that we have Rams tickets up for grabs, those who uh, subscribe. That is 2SCR.com. This number is 95149500. We're going to be back on the podcast talking all things The Woman Who Ran and Bart subsequent movie film, both out this week. Um, thank you for listening. Please do subscribe to 2SCR. They're an amazing service. The number is 95149500.2SCR.com. Stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin. This has been Glenn Founds, thank Chris Evans and Varat Nehru. Stay safe, stay well, have a wonderful night, enjoy movies, and good night. Welcome back to Film Fight Club, where we're talking The Woman Who Ran, the film from Hotel on the River director Hong Sang Soo, and the new. Borat film, Borat subsequent movie film. I will get the full title because it's not the full title. The title as a gag keeps changing throughout the movie. But yes, it is the new film from Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, he, he had a number of, I only learned this um, recently, but uh, when Kazakhstan uh, had a go at him, uh, had many goes to him over the year of the film. And he made a comment that, um, oh, I'm, I have nothing to do with this trash and I'm glad you are uh, going after that Jew, Sasha Baron Cohen, which I thought was quite funny. Um, but we're going to get into what Kazakhstan is a choice for his particular form of parody in this review. Yeah, because I, I think uh, there have been quite a lot of uh, Kazakhstan people or people from Kazakhstan. Uh, Kazakhstan. Kazakhs from Kazakhstan. Kazakhs? Uh, I don't know. What, what is that? Like? Kazakhs from Kazakhstan. No, I agree. I was going to take issue on this too, because it's always been the thing that bugs me the most about Borat. Absolutely. That he, that he picked Kazakhstan, because it's a country that a lot of people know nothing about. So when a lot of people hear Kazakhstan now, their mind immediately goes to Borat. It was pretty irresponsible to... Okay. And, and they've had a lot of negative uh, uh, sort of... Uh, stereotyping and, and a lot of people have uh, reported that you know they just 
unhappy with the level of uh, vitriol that some of them have received because of their popular depiction. Okay, a few things, I uh, saw so several things to that. Um, yeah, the last thing you should do when you meet a person from Kazakhstan is may be like, hey, sure. Borat, like, don't be a dick. <laughs> Yeah. Worse than when someone comes up to you and says, oh, yeah, Crocodile Dundee, much worse. Think of how annoying that is. It's worse. But everyone knew, the difference is that I, I, people know Borat's a joke, but people really know that Crocodile Dundee isn't a joke and an exaggeration because there was more knowledge around the world about Australia and the English-speaking world than there is about Kazakhstan. Absolutely. We well, you can do that with Apu and, and the, the Indian accent thing for the longest time because that was the only cultural reference point for a lot of people of the Indian accent, essentially. But, but it's worse because, I mean, you, you, I know there's been a lot of discussion about Apu Nhasfir Petalon, but at the end of the day, Apu is a character who's a great guy, who's hardworking, contributes to his community, and is generally seen as an upstanding uh, characterization of Indian American. Anyway, we, we digress. Kazakhstan, Borat, yeah, is not. Borat, Borat is not, not that. But Borat, okay, it's on individuals to educate themselves about Kazakhstan, which is a, has, is a very modern nation and is much more diverse than, and a lot less racist than the film certainly suggests. And sexist. And sexist and so many other things. Importantly, and I think most people who watch Borat get this, they're taking the piss not out of Kazakhstan, but how, how many Westerns, particularly Americans, view the world. There's particular nuance to similar when we go to talk about his treatment of the Shoah in this new film or something we'll get to a little later. Um, notably, Kazakhstan over the past few days have announced that for the first time, they're actually integrating Borat within some of their tourism campaigns. The new one of the new slogans is very nice. Uh, if you can't beat it, beat them, join them. Yeah, they were pretty upset when the first Borat film came out. But right now, it's any publicity because no one's going doing any tourism right now. Yeah, um, I understand the argument about oh, this is actually satirizing what Americans think of the world, but. Really, he. I, there's no reason it wouldn't it's have worked. Punching down than punching up, right? Yeah, and there, there's no reason it, it wouldn't have worked if he'd made up some name for the... If he'd called it, like, Kyrgyzstan or something. Would yeah. it have really made any difference? Notably, there's no references to um, Uzbekistan, Uzbeks and Uzbekistan who were very... Uh, but of a lot of jokes in the last film. Um, also, uh, we, we mentioned passing, and we'll get into this a little more, um, how he portrays and depicts anti-Semitic attitudes through Borat. Um, Borat largely depicts Kazakhstan as a very anti-Semitic country. If he was, and which it's not, and if, yeah. <laughs> first of all, and he was going to take the piss, it was going to take the piss out of a country, it could have been a country, in that respect, it could have been a country where those attitudes are sadly much more widespread. Of which or, I'm, I think he's afraid to, you know, really have gone out and said, yeah, Borat's from Saudi Arabia or something like that. He does take the piss out of Saudi Arabia. In he does, but if Borat, if Borat were from Saudi Arabia, though, I would have felt like it would have all been 100% earned. You know, like yeah, Asian I mean, women part, really part of the narrative of this new film. I mean, part of the problem with Borat is that is the fact that it looks like it's pushing boundaries when it's actually playing it relatively safe in ah. terms of what it's trying to do. It's so, this new one is that opens up a good doorway of discussion for yeah. the new film. So I'll, uh, I'll bring that into my first point about Borat. We should just give a brief recap of what it is. It is Borat's subsequent movie film. It is on Amazon now. So contemporaneously, it was a very little lead in time. Not many people knew that it was happening. Shot in secret, clearly rushed to be out in time for the election. Very much so. It is Borat. Um, subsequent, they acknowledge the character's fame in this universe. It has three titles, by the way. It has two titles that appear early in the film and then a third one at the end. Yeah. 
and which, which, which was one of the funnier gags. Um, he goes to America with his daughter, Yankee Land, with his daughter, um, played by Maria Bakalova, or the great USNA. USNA, to give her as a gift to Vice Premier Mikhail Pence. Because he's the most renowned pussyhound in all the land, since um, his, his uh, w- women have to be kept away from him because of his ravenous appetites. <laughs> it's a great, great, great shot at Michael Pence there. Well-deserved. Um, and, and, no, no, like, he, there's a nice workaround for not going after Trump, because as noted, he did actually take a dump outside of Trump Tower in the first film. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the gags like that, that Mike Pence joke you were talking about, um, are actually funny. Yeah. Like that, that's the real test in the, in the Trump era. Like, can you make jokes about the right wing that are actually funny? Because, of, you know, the cliche now is that reality is caught up with satire and it's hard to make Trump era comedy. But I did find the stuff here amusing. And even though it's a little bit cheap, fairly well earned so i wasn't so bothered by the cheap shots okay so there's a couple of ways that barrett's humor ages well and ages badly in the first film uh he was very good at teasing out prejudice and extremism and hatred and that was the great conceit of the character in this this time around however um he's deliberately dealing with a group of people for the most part who are very open about their extreme attitudes and beliefs and views and so it's less it's instructive but it can be less edgy but at the same time the particular type of humor he uses like yeah the terrible scene of pamela anderson at the end of the film has a similarly misogynistic scene where he confronts vice premier pence but it actually worked well in respects in this because it's preceded by pence saying something so egregious one of many things we see republicans say in this film and others say that is so absurd and awful and consequential that when you see barrett respond with this absolute absurdity it only seems less absurd but it seems um requisite so it has an impact this does raise a question that me and glenn were discussing earlier which is how much do people really know what's going on how many people are in on it how many? How much of this is scripted? How many of the unscripted people realize that it's a gag? Part it's of this, clear. yeah, because part of the setup of this film is that Borat is always wearing disguises because he's too well known. I feel like a lot of people must have still realized they were talking to Borat in this film and are playing along with it. Well, the reports. Well, certainly one person, uh, Rudolf Giuliani, his actual name, uh, didn't, and there are others who didn't. But it's funnier when you know that this is definitely real versus you're it's very obviously staged. I think part of the problem in this post world is the fact that now that everyone knows the shtick, uh, it's very hard to convincingly say that this is not scripted, you know, that this is real because... I felt like most people, of it was scripted. Yeah, because even if people I'm pretend impressed. to kind of feel oh, like, you know, they're... The uh, sequence, definitely. Oh, so yeah. The set up, they were just clearly... Um, but I, I agree with Farad. Um, the bits where... It's just very obvious they're playing into nostalgic aspect of what Borat was. And I do have some nostalgia for Borat um, from when I was in high school and um, just him being a mainstay post Ali G. Um, so the scene. Ali G is a much better character than Borat. Anyway, but that's a different. I, I would agree. Um, Ali G is his best character still. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, and the rally scene was really good, which was um, apparently real. Um, the song, which we referenced earlier, which also referenced Saudi Arabia. This stuff. The song was funny, but it was also just kind of like a rehash of the throwing the Jew down the well song. 
Uh, it, it worked on the level of when he does that speech um, at the rally in the first one, and I want George Bush to drink the blood of every Iraqi child or whatever awful thing. Yeah, but it, again, it's kind of like the greatest hits returns. It was very, very oh, A lot similar. of it was just, you liked Borat. A lot of it was new, the new bit. The best thing about this film was Maria Bakalova. Like she, she was, was really good. Up, she showed, showed him up and was better than Natasha Baron Cohen in a lot of the sequences, particularly stuff where she had to improv. Um, yeah, she was very funny. Though I do feel like her material is probably more scripted than a lot of the Borat stuff. But the one bit that couldn't have been very scripted is the most talked about bit of this film, which is the scene involving Rudy Giuliani where it is shown that after an interview with her, obviously he was not in on the joke. He goes into, this is a minor spoiler, but it's been such in the press, we need to talk about it. He goes into the bedroom um, and engages some behavior, which at the very least is injudicious and another ethical. And yeah. then appears he's about to put his hand, he puts his hand, appears to put his hand down his pants. And then it's when Borat bursts in. I mean, he um, does put his hand down his pants. The question is, what is he doing it for? And Giuliani says to take a microphone out. I believe him. Yeah, on balance, I feel irrespective of his really sleazy and poorly poorly considered behavior and just bad behavior in the lead up to this, certainly he's the person in the position of power here. I don't feel it's so straightforward as to say, oh, this is where this was definitely going. Yeah, I agree. For me, I was glad this was on Amazon Prime because I often wanted to pause it when the cringe became too much. I think there's a problem with this Borat character, which even like Ali G we were talking about before um, is a better character because he is cringe, but there's more to him that is not cringe. Like Ali G made himself more the butt of the joke, whereas Borat um, is so stupid that you never really feel like Ali G is sorry that Sasha Baron Cohen um, is laughing. He's not laughing at Borat type people. You know, there's less no. self criticism of the character, and it's more about showing up the idiocy of other people. Yeah, his his character is so extreme that it pushes his behavior into extreme cringe territory a lot of the time, mm-hmm. and I don't think that character has ever really had what it takes to fill a film narrative. Even with the first, I think, I think, I think what what worked with Ali G was the fact that he was at least bringing a certain set of beliefs uh, with him as an Ali G, and there was a world building around his character which Borat lacks. Borat is just Ali G and laugh. Yeah, <laughs> but it's funny. And the thing is, yeah. like, when Ali G would come with certain presumptions, That's and right. then he would say, "Isn't this how it works?" and there was an innocence about it which was well, not as scripted when Borat does it it is so obviously in your face that yeah. there's nothing about him that he can take seriously at any well, point I think the, th- the difference is I think Ali G was based on people that Sasha Baron Cohen knew he, he also took inspiration from people like a BBC radio DJ like yeah. it's based on funny things he saw happening in the culture in England whereas Borat is just this extreme caricature of like a hybrid of Soviet Eastern Europe kind of um, society mixed with Middle Eastern stereotypes. Yeah, and that's what's actually another aspect that is relatively insidious about the character where Kazakhstan is quite a new nation. So you had to draw more classical stereotypes from other places, just meld them into, oh, wait, no, Kazakhstan. Let's just put it in. He picked Kazakhstan because he thought the name Kazakhstan sounded funny. 
Yeah. That's the truth. That's what, and that's a stupid, that's, I don't think that's morally justified in what it, it's like, you have responsibility as a big media player, you know, in changing people's perception of the world. But yeah, something I was trying to say before about Borat and how extreme he is as a character and how much, how cringy he is, is that my favorite use of Borat was in his debut, which was um, sketches in the USA seasons of the Ali G show. Yes. 10 minutes. Great. Because that's about as much Borat as I can really stomach. I think in a lot of ways it was smart to add the daughter character in this movie to break up the excess of watching 90 minutes of Borat. She had the Um, best scenes and the best stuff that Baron Cohen has done with Borat in this and other episodes of Borat is episodic. Um, I really, and and the other element of this film that has caused some controversy is his treatment of a Shoah survivor who subsequently passed away following filming. The film is dedicated to her. And there's a, I guess more a question of whether this element should have been included, whether he should have approached her. I mean, his character who historically believes the Holocaust is a great thing, uh, meets this woman. Um, I'm pretty sure she was actually in on it or she yes. was, she, yeah, he didn't, he did not ambush her with it and she agreed to be part of it. So this is what the film crew have said. I believe it because there's also a documentary about her with that talking out of character on the Amazon. So uh, I have no reason to doubt what they say. Importantly, the Sacha Baron Cohen and, the, and those behind the film have made other resources separate to the film available for her that represent, that talk about that history, the Shoah and her story. Um, I actually think this is one of the best elements of the film. It deals not just with um, um, how that was around the Holocaust view, but Holocaust denial, and particularly as it is so prevalent on Facebook. Certainly, um, this has been a big item in the news lately, whereas Mark Zuckerberg has addressed this and says there's not something he wants to proliferate on the platform. So the film is very timely in that regard. And the satire around that was actually some of those points. And again, um, well, it's funny. Yeah, it was, it was iffy stuff on whether he is, to some extent, as to whether he is taking the piss out of people who, how people view the non-Western world versus actually Kazakhstan. He's very clearly here not making a joke about the Holocaust, but is making, but is really skewering people who would deny it and push but, those sort of scenarios. I mean, I mean, that was actually something that was uh, somewhat eye-opening to me because I didn't realize that the Holocaust denial was so prevalent on social media and just to that extent. Yeah, it really is. But, yeah. I thought that that section was very well done because um, it was obviously not mocking the Shoah or um, the survivors. It was obviously mocking Holocaust denialism, but it managed to do so in a way that it never became preachy. It stayed on that Borat politically incorrect humor level. So I thought that was actually very smartly done. Um, and just while we're talking about... Um... Hebrew language uh, to note the film is actually much funnier if you can understand some Hebrew Borat the entire time is speaking Hebrew and uh, the, his, his daughter the character is speaking Bulgarian now I didn't speak Bulgarian and I wish I did I'm sure it'd be a lot funnier if, if I could discern that but the bits there in Hebrew were very very funny um, he's so not he, saying what's in the script is he and the subtitles um, from what I could my Hebrew is I, it's possible the words I can pick up are not inconsistent with the subtitles. But okay, right. Pick up are of a more general nature than pick language. So I couldn't speak to that. Right. I think what was surprising to me was how proficient this was as a film narrative, given that it's about Borat. Like I'm, I've complained that this, it's too much Borat, but for a movie that seems to be just basically tossed together, um, a bunch of segments, scripted things, 
quickly rushed edit. Um, it was fairly proficient, just taken as is, not as this documentary hybrid thing, but just as as a dumb Hollywood mainstream comedy. It's fairly successful, right? Like it didn't the narrative yeah. did, in the the complex, you know, the complication part, which is always the biggest drag in comedies, where you know the heartwarming bit kicks in. All of that went by very smoothly. Like it's quite a well-made film. I agree. I agree. It's. I think what what really works uh, in favor of the film is, like I think you've already mentioned, having a daughter character to play off. So I think uh, there's still less of Borat in this film than the last one. Film, right? It's it's uh, maybe for good measure, uh, but also just the fact that I just thought beyond a certain point that shtick was ex exhausted. Like I had nothing new to learn about Borat. So it was good in the fact that, you know, we had the daughter character, somebody new to actually learn about. Yeah. yeah. Even though they were still superficially written. It was the yeah. fact that I know as much there is to know about Borat. Now I don't think there's anything new to add oh, yeah. to the character. You yeah, you didn't learn. Boring. Borat was basically the same as he was in the last film. Yeah. yeah. The most boring scene in it was, it was funny, but the least interesting scene was just another scene taking the piss out of Kazakhstan where they're sending faxes back and forth. The ones that were funny it was too much. had to have something, not just something new in terms of um, the shtick, but had to be contemporaneous. And to his credit, um, a lot of the one-off jokes and all the major plots were contemporaneous, like how his kid is called Jeffrey Epstein now. Yeah. Um, it's very, very current. Yeah. The thing about... Um, sorry, I, I just got into a, a overthinking it part where I was thinking if you knew who Jeffrey Epstein is, you, sh you wouldn't have the beliefs that they do in Kazakhstan. Like, do they have the internet or not? How do they know who Epstein is? But yeah, yeah, you're not you're not supposed to think about that. Yeah, you're not supposed like if you're going to watch Borat, I think there is a certain level. No, no, the, 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 there's a much darker reason he chose to call himself Jeffrey Epstein. The character clearly knew who Jeffrey Epstein is. If what they're implying is pretty pretty safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he definitely knew. Um, but yeah, the, I I feel like what's happened with a lot of this. You talking about the fax machine guy reminded me of it. Is scripted material or semi-scripted material with non-professional actors to give the impression of unscripted material. I think it's just not really possible to make a Borat film like they did I the agree. Borat sections and the new Borat. Like the, the guy, the Everyone fax machine guy. Like, yeah, the fax. That's right. The fax machine guy, I've read some reviews that suggest that he actually does know what's going on and it's shocking that he's not making any comment, but I feel like he has to have known. You yeah. know, they're talking about like, we're going to send this to Mike Pat. Like he must have, yeah. it's too silly. There's only one time in the entire film where an apparently non-scripted character works as a great source of humor, and that is the lady at the desk of this cosmetic surgery place who actually has a lot of great one-liners and just uh, managed to show up Sasha Baron Cohen a couple of times. Like, Do you I, think I can believe that wasn't scripted, but I'm not sure. But she could, she's probably smart enough to be playing along to the comedy of it, though. Like, yeah. I think she knew that they were having them on. And yeah, it's $72. $72. And speaking, speaking yeah. of that as a point, I don't know, tangent, she, the whole feminist reawakening, which his daughter has, 
um, was really well handled, as was the... Better than it would have... Better than a lot of the serious feminist films that have been going into film festivals for the last two or three years. Oh, yeah. And this was... Well, it was scary <laughs> subjects that most... A lot of films wouldn't. And also, i got to say, the Disney-esque cartoon with the Beauty and the Beast. Oh, that was hysterical. That's, the, that's an example oh of the God. kind of cheap shot that's actually well-deserved. It doesn't feel like too much just preaching to the choir like i'll take it fine clearly clearly we love disney so much it's, the, it's so obvious the fat king okay. um, i'm slovenian peasant melania so funny <laughs> oh, but that's the thing there's enough funny things in this movie that even though the whole thing was kind of unnecessary i can still basically recommend it if like yeah, if you it, want it to wasn't see just a pure nostalgia trip there was enough substance in there which it, set it up in contemporary times and yeah. the reason is clearly the election so there's yeah. enough of a motivation in there to now release a borat film and why 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 now like if the question is why now then this yeah, is, yeah. like I, I liked that the that he tried to search for the joke he didn't just resort to like can you believe these people think this kind of thing which is what it could have easily just fallen into like smug self-satisfied left-wing humor some would argue it still is that but like i said these things are funny the the beauty and the beast thing hilarious yeah yeah i i'm curious now whether we're going to see more from bakalova i hope so i hope so she was so funny right and she really talented actress yeah um she made she made a comment that it's thank you to sasha baron cohen because and the producers because it's very hard for people of my background with my accent to get roles hmm. and that's sad and pathetic so yeah good on good on the producers and i hope she is in a lot more prominent stuff because she's great she seems like she's going like you, you know when someone makes it big with one film but like Dujardin and the artist so they pop, use that example chris yeah they <laughs> pop go. up in a few more films for a little bit and then they go away or like um Who's like the little uh, Britain people making an appearance in Bridesmaids? I feel like she'll get like Apatow film cameos or show up in a Paul Feig movie in a bit part and then disappear because Hollywood doesn't have many places for people with her accent. Um, yeah. It'll just be like, oh, there, here she is. She's in this little uh, part. Yeah, Hopefully not. Please prove me wrong, Hollywood. Hopefully yeah. Michael Pence is the best right. those sorts of roles the next four years. I'd like that more, <laughs> but no. I... Michael Pence playing those sorts of roles, like the cameo, just... like haha, it's Michael Pence, yeah. <laughs> vice premier, vice premier Michael Michael Pence. Michael, yeah, uh, yeah the, the CPAC. Oh no, a woman, uh, get her away from him. I can't believe he got that far into CPAC. That how did that happen? I was I was shocked that they he actually was able to get past. They would have known. They would have known. Uh, they would not have let Sacha Baron Cohen to a CPAC conference in an election year, right no. after the pandemic. No, they wouldn't have. And you could see the the security looked very serious with the like, "Don't stop, keep moving. Don't stop, keep moving." Everyone just started screaming four more years, which, by the way, is a West Wing chant. And that and yeah, they, 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 no one wanted them there. No, he's not in. He did well. West, to... West Wing hasn't aged well on rewatch. It's such a self-satisfied smug self-content Aaron Sorkin-esque piece of wank. Anyway, yeah, that's, 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 that's... Okay, no. Um, I'm happy to spend hours talking about how you're mostly wrong. There are things... That should be our next time then, okay. Also, there, the, the West Wing... That should be our Election Day episode, uh, how the West Wing has right. not aged well. Okay, on this, the West Wing is my all-time favorite television show. There's a lot of great things. There's a lot of terrible things. And by the way, you go back and watch it. There's actually a lot of casual sexism in it. There's yeah. 
when, when they meet Ainsley Hayes in season two, the, the, uh, Sam and the news anchor are so condescending to like, just play along and you know, you'll, you'll catch up. And there's a scene in like, it's episode five, it's called the crap pots and these women where Leo and the president are just sitting there saying, look at all these amazing women doing all this amazing work. Yeah, we're such great men for acknowledging this. Yeah, there's yeah. <laughs> that. It's uh, a respiratory level of, uh, yeah. anyway. It, it's not the overarching themes of the show, and it's a few. It's relatively few and far between, but it is present. So yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff about the West Wing, but if you want us to fight about the West Wing, yeah, tell us. But that's yeah. oh, Hartsfield land. Hart, the Hartsfield's landing episode is being made as a teleplay, so you can go watch that. Mm-hmm. It's the one where they encourage people to go to vote. But so I, I do feel uh, the U.S. election night. We should be uh, talking about the West Wing. That should be our fight. Uh, I mean, maybe I don't know. I have I haven't watched the West Wing. Chris is less enthusiastic. I haven't watched the West Wing in thirteen years. I haven't watched it since it ended. Uh, yeah, well, but I, I didn't. I remember. I, I watched it. I spent the entirety two thousand and six watching the West Wing, and I remember it very clearly. But I'd be gl- I'd be glad. To, I'd be love to go into it. Isn't it even, even even when you think you remember something clearly, though? I feel like when it can surprise you on a rewatch. When you're yeah, just coming I, back I with a different just, perspective. I think I, I think I was just very surprised with the level of smug on the rewatch. Like it was so self-assuringly smug. Maybe it's the contemporary political times that we live in. It's, it it was so self-assured of the fact that uh, if you're a smaller liberal, you knew what is right and you're standing up for righteousness. And it just rings so hollow today. That's that's the problem. There were episodes where they were called out, like Josh and his Beth, his roommate congressman, who was the queer Republican. I'm the amazing one where Toby goes to the room and says, even though I'm right and you're wrong, and you know I am and you're not, I'm gonna win because I'm better at this than you. And they're like, not this time. We've got this newspaper article, and you just lost. And there's great stuff where they're just going to undermine the episode from season one where Leo gets called out by the head of the Black Caucus um, for telling him how to um, represent the African-American community. Anyway, we digress. Really, this is a fight we should have. It it seems like it. Anyway, we'll do it in a future episode. That's not the one. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Um, That will be... um, the day after, the week after, the day or the day after. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting confused. I'm thinking of all the. I'm getting into Hong Sang Su mode, but uh, <laughs> yes, we are talking um, the woman who ran, which is yeah. tomorrow. No, it came out a week ago. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's playing it's at Ritz, Dendi, Newtown. I think that might be it. Yeah, there's only two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I really dug it. I really dug it too. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's there's something about. Firstly, I'm just in awe of how Hong Sang-soo makes his movies. It's process of making films where it's just kind of written on the day. It's very loosely structured and it's never trying to go for an overarching point. It's mostly a vibe of the thing. I think this film does have a, a overarching point. This one is actually. This point. one is probably more structured than... Very more. subtle. Very it's, subtle. Very it's very subtle and leaves a lot open to ambiguity. Um, but... I'm not sure if discussing the theme is giving away too much, but essentially the movie is broken up into three different conversations that our protagonist who's visiting um, a little town has. um, And all of them reflect different positions that the people she meets are in, in their life with regards to their relationships. And so it seems to be a film about, a woman exploring ways that she could go next or the ways her, could, her life could have gone with regard to her relationship. But 
what this, the real status of her relationship is, is kept ambiguous because she's holding her cards very close to her chest and we're only able to pick things up from watching the way that she describes it in very similar terms every time with all these people to, that we start to wonder if yeah. there's more than she's letting on. Happen. I mean, if you've seen something like Right Now, Wrong Then or even uh, uh, the one where there was... I'm forgetting the title of that film. It terminated myth, uh, where basically the Hotel by the River or Grass. And before that, the one the day no yesterday. Uh, the day after, or was it something like that? Uh, one before that as well. Uh, the one with the mistaken identity happens, uh, and this person is convinced that uh, he's seen her before, and then she plays the relationship quite differently. Anyway, so it, it is a similar conceit where you don't quite know the present status of a relationship mm. in the protagonist. And you have to piece together the nature of their relationship. And yet the actual nature of the relationship goes through a tangential change because the protagonists themselves repurpose the relationship as they have these conversations. Yeah. So mostly the conceit of pretty much every Hong Sang Soo film. This um, film, I think for me, the, the big problem with the way this is structured is the most interesting conversation and the most the most interesting characters that the protagonist meets are the first yeah. two. So um, that, that segment ends with a couple of incredible tangents. The conversation about the cats is oh, so yeah. funny. So funny. Right. But, um, and then. And, and, and as always, I think all the male characters uh, are kind of pathetic, which is. Oh yeah. yeah it's typical Hong, 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 Hong Sang Soo films. Yeah. yeah. But, um, and they never face the camera. They're always it's just, the back. Yeah, it's a super, so that you can imagine the face is Hong Zhang now. Um, yes, the, uh, <laughs> it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah, but this is a very female-driven film. The women are um, playing all the central roles. Mm. But um, yeah, the, the thing for me is that when we moved on from the, the first um, woman and her flatmate that we meet, I was kind of missing them because they were so interesting. and. Um, the the next person that we meet is probably the least interesting segment of the film. It yeah, culminates I mean, in a really interesting the way um, in, in, in Hong's head I feel it's structured in a way that the third conversation and the meeting is supposed to be the surprise. And it's meant to be a catharsis, I think. It's meant to be a release of this energy that Yeah. And that's something that these withheld protagonist was supposedly wrestling with as mm. coming to a final but, but honestly, I would have been more content with the film probably that just stayed with the first two people yeah. as opposed to this kind of meta structure he's going for. Or I think that they did just needed more ideas in those segments. Um, uh, I just felt the film could have been, once again, like something like Grass, it could have been 60 minutes. And yeah, this one's like 80 minutes or so, but yeah. it could have so been. The last tiny. segment could have been like, it could be two segments. I was pretty happy to see that film. It's pretty short. I film. agree. It didn't need to be three pretty segments. self-contained. Um, uh, it, yeah, even in the segments I didn't like so much, though, there's still great highlights. Um, the, the second segment, which is probably the worst one or the least interesting for me, um, had ended with a, a really interesting meeting with a nuisance guy, basically. That, yes. Oh, um, my God. Like there's, the, there's, a lot, yeah. there's a lot to say about the male characters who don't appear in this film, which are themselves the characters in absence. Yeah, but this guy um, the, is so... Yeah, so so kind of exasperating and annoying the poet, but the way that the, that his appearances are filmed 
both seen through a security camera and also the, the really simple but elegant staging of the way Hong films that hallway using the zooms. Yeah. I love the way he uses zooms. I love the way that he opens with an image and then zooms out of it. Yeah. Like it's a frame. But the thing is, just that, something through a window. It's weird because like a lot of his films and, and sort of staging is so minimal where mm. it's mostly long takes. And but yet, the zooms give this really and it really deeply felt uh, punctuation because and also it's, it's, such it's almost constantly takes. voyeuristic, right? It, it kind yeah. of always feels like you're watching these people in their private moments in moments that you should. And it's a theme because all the segments end with someone watching, with the main character watching a screen. Yeah. So it's um, like you're watching them and they're watching a screen. So you're watching a screen within a screen within a screen. Hello, screenception. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, his control over the image is really beautiful, actually. A few, sometimes the conversations seem to, uh, to be just shot in the most simple possible way. Um, but other times, there's clearly a lot of thought put into it. Mm -hmm. And especially, uh, as I keep saying, with the way he uses the zoom. I mean, the, there's a beautiful, beautiful segment uh, in one of the conversations uh, when a reveal is happening about the nature of a relationship uh, and you, the faces of the main uh, uh, characters are never shown. Instead, you're focusing on the hands. Oh, uh, yes. Such a beautifully composed shot. And also just incredible staging of the drama and real oh, understanding wow. of the flow of this conversation and relationship. And it, it shows because, that- Because you can see what they're feeling and how the hands kind of reach for each other. And yeah. it's like, you know, it's weird because we never we, we have seen that, but we never focus on that in usual he, kind of focus. The, I noticed throughout actually that the framing was very smart and a lot of the time allowing full body language to come in instead yeah. of just keeping it to um, close-ups of faces. People were yeah. being allowed to do more acting with their bodies that you don't normally see in a lot of drama films these yeah, days. This is, this is such an anti-Marvel thing. Which it's anti-everything. It's anti-most... Anti-Hollywood, yeah. It's slow cinema, but it's also not much like most slow cinema films in that it's so focused on dialogue. Um, and it's not much like indie yeah. trends of the moment at all. Um, I mean, that's the other thing. I think Hong is a terrific dialogue writer. I mean, so much yeah. dialogue is so sparse, but... Very, very believable um, yeah. and flowed really well. And the restrictions he works within aesthetically, I think allow him to exert more control yeah. Like you acclimatize to the minimalism of it and he's working within those boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm not sure where I'm really going here, but he uses the restrictions to further what he's doing. Like yeah. he's, he's dialed down the options available to him and he, he really focuses in um, on the moments that need it. I agree. He, and I he think knows part, how to, part, how to, what to emphasize. I agree. Part of that is because I think we're already accustomed when we go to watch a Hong film, most people at least who try to, we kind of already know that uh, these are the limitations that we're working in. So there's less uh, acclimatization that happens in our brains because we already know in the first five minutes, it's going to be a conversational kind of piece. This, these are the kind of limitations that most, you know, it's a, uh, Structurally, we kind of know that the dialogue and the conversations are the focal point. It's not, we're not going to be immersed into a vast expanse of, you know, uh, the, the countryside or, you know, that's, that's not the point. It's, it's not a, a period piece as such. It's mostly a very hyper minimal, let's focus on characters and uh, conversations. What, yeah, and what they're going to be reacting with when they're put in uncomfortable situations or just new situations. Yeah. 
Um, I don't, I th don't think it's perfect, but I thought it was consistently interesting and I'd recommend it if you've ever enjoyed his films before, even if you haven't, um, and you're just looking for something you know, it was different and better new. Than something like Day After or it. even Hotel by the Real Quiet. Like, I think this is a stronger film than those last two. Which is probably the reason why it's being given a theatrical release in Australia. Yeah. I think it's partly uh, the lack of content and yeah. partly that th this is one of his better ones. Serial, never content. Yeah. Well, if you, if you're, you're right, if you if you're content, lack of films, lack of films. Yeah, we are film connoisseurs, Chris. We have to use the correct vernacular. We are not uh, content enjoyers. Content creator. Yeah, yeah. Hong is not a content creator. He's a he's an auto. I'm sure that it, he could be a great content creator if Netflix or or somewhere or YouTube gave him a contract to just churn out a movie every week. I think he could do that. It's I mean, and, that we are very con more than content with these films. Right. Yes, we, yeah. we uh, create I mean, we should... create contentment. <laughs> uh, uh, and we should also know, acknowledge big, big up to a CR for creating contentment in you all. Nine five one four nine five double zero. Yeah, I mean, your uh, fun continues. We should we should we should also acknowledge uh, how Kim Min Hee and, and Hong are incredible as a director actor combination. Mm. Like she's so comfortable and uh, and she she knows her method completely and she's sometimes yeah. yeah. to yeah. it. Yeah. So, so that is Lauren Iran. It is screening in cinemas now. Bart's subsequent movie film was screening on Amazon. To be clear, that cartoon about Melania that was fake, unlike the stock footage of Melania, which is real of her of Melania Trump. And two SCR radio uh, Akira 4K is in uh, some cinemas now. You can catch it at Event George Street. And you can catch it at Ritz, you can catch it at Orpheum. It's actually in quite a lot of events in Hoyts, a fairly wide release because again, there's a lack of films. So something like this that might've been a couple of screens is now getting a semi-wide release. Yeah, yeah. and we'll be back next week talking more movie films. Um, some <laughs> <electronic> <laughs> stuff. Movie film. Movie film. Um, yeah. yeah, actually, we'll- It'll be hard to talk about anything but the election next week, especially if Trump wins. Yeah, we should probably do the show. We should see if we can record it because we usually pre-record before Wednesday night. I think, yeah, we're going to have a very, it, it'll be strange if we just go ahead talking about movies like everything's normal and Trump's won. We'll figure it out, dear listener. Yeah. Um, have an enjoy. Have an enjoy. Yeah, have an enjoy. We'll, and yep, yeah, enjoy subsequent movie film. Enjoy movies. Enjoy all subsequent movie films. <laughs> enjoy content. <laughs> yeah. If you must. Yes. Feel content and enjoy content. On that wonderful note, <laughs> good night. Bye.